Welcome back, everybody, to the Shock Absorber podcast. And I am joined by. Last week, I joked that I was joined by two irregular co-hosts, and so now I've got the regular co-host back on. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joy tried to tell me that he was very regular. Yeah. So yeah, welcome back, Stu. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> Much pleasure. Thanks. And Tim, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Excellent. Not wearing the same colour today. I always uh, like to point out right, the clothing. No, no. Well done. Yep. I'm glad you caught yeah, a bit outfits. of a like a nineties vibe going on there. I like oh, the nineties. I thought you did. Uh, yeah, mm. it's a good time. It was yeah. it was an awesome decade. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said this before. I don't like the nineties at all. Wow. Yeah. There you go. You're too young. Oh, hey, You're what, too that young. was a you very like patronising. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know. <laughs> you wouldn't know. <laughs> what would you know about the nineties, young man? <laughs> I grew up in them. <laughs> yeah, but it was, I probably was a bit younger than you guys. Uh, welcome back. It's lovely to have you back on the podcast. It's lovely to be doing the podcast again. And thank you to everyone that's tuned into listening or uh, watching. I didn't say that. Well, I usually say that at the start of the episode. Um, we always like to talk about cultural artifact. We've brought it, we brought it up last week, but I think it was really important, Stu, that now that you're back on the podcast to get your reactions to the Jesus Revolution movie, which we we all kind of saw. T- a lot of us went and saw it together mm. a few weeks ago. What yeah, it surpassed my expectations. Yeah, I thought you, really you enjoyed it. Though, I really you? enjoyed it yeah. greatly. Yeah, it was really really good. Yeah. And what was the what do you think was the best part? Because there were so many things that I kept. I was sitting quite close to you, and I could hear you making comments about <laughs> it. Like, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's like sorry. You can't you can't fit everything <laughs> into a movie. Yeah. But they did really well. Yeah. They they fit a lot of stuff in, and even the things that weren't in there were kind of unspoken. Like the fact that, uh, you know, you have one of the key characters is meeting another key character as he's walking from San Francisco down to LA. You know, stuff like that. That there's this sense that the Jesus movement's been going for a while, and now it's coming here. Um, it was quite clever. I think it was well written. The actors were really good. Acting was good. Uh, it was so good seeing Pirate Cove with all those people. It looked like the 70s. Oh, when they're getting baptised? Yeah, when they mm. get baptised, it looked really good. So there was a lot of really nice moments. Um, but it was also really real. So it, it was an explosion of people coming to faith. But there was also a lot of difficulties in amongst that as well. And interpersonal relationships, I think, were depicted pretty well. So, okay. Yeah, it was good. And you've, like, you know a lot about the Jesus movement. Do you think it reflected some other parts of the... Like, did you think it reflected the Jesus movement in the way that it actually happened? Like, I know you were saying that a little bit, but... Yeah, uh, the movie focused on Calvary Chapel quite extensively, mm-hmm. and that was really appropriate because that was a really big centre of the Jesus movement and a really early part of the Jesus movement. I think being a massive Larry Norman fan, I would have liked a reference <laughs> yeah. to Larry in there because <laughs> yeah. I think he had a great deal to do with uh, the growth and spread of the movement as well. Uh, there's no mention of Randy Stonehill and Keith Green and some of those others, although Keith Green kind of came on the scene a bit later, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was really good. I, I think the uh, the the really exciting part was when they uh, showed the Expo 73, I think it was, or 72, I can't remember now. But there was this big rally that was almost like a Christian Woodstock and one of the most moving parts of that uh, was seeing how they flicked to the old footage and they showed the old footage of Billy Graham being there and for Billy to come into that moment when a lot of people were viewing the Jesus movement with suspicion because there was just this huge explosion of rock and roll and teenagers and a lot of conservative Christians were like, should we be 
thinking this is a good thing or should we think it's a bad thing? And then all of a sudden Billy Graham comes along and he authenticated it and said, I'm a part of this and I think this is great. And I think that actually unleashed a whole heap of ministry energy that lasted through three decades personally. So really? I think, you know, the 70s and 80s particularly was incredibly influenced by that, that moment. And um, yeah, it was there. there wasn't there, there was a lot of ministry forms that came out of that. That today we look back on and go, it's time for a change. Time to do some new things. But you know, to validate the authenticity of that moment was really quite exciting. Actually, mm-hmm. watching it, yeah, I was really excited. It was good. Uh, running out of ten. Well, I'm going to give it an eight. Mm, I think nice. it was really good. Yeah, yeah really good. As, as I was saying, I was saying with Braden and and Jaira on last week that it didn't feel like. I was at the point when we were watching it that halfway through the movie, I'm like, is this the, is this it? Because it kind of like was all very positive, all the growth and mm, everything that was going mm. on. But then, and I was like, where do they go from here? Mm. But then they started looking at the difficulties that was mm. going on in amongst those people and the, it showed that they were, mm. they were still flawed people. And as Jai said, the role of uh, two of the main characters' wives to say them, Tell them that this isn't about you. Yeah, it's, yeah, Jesus, Jesus really is the, Jesus is the one that's making this mm, happen. And that mm. was that was like really cool to see that. And also the other thing that I enjoyed was I know that you enjoy or you're very passionate about the Jesus movement. There's a lot of things that happened to the Jesus movement that have influenced your ministry. Yeah, it has. And it was cool to see that actually yeah, reflected you saw some in of that. that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, like what sort of things? Well, did like you when say? they were preaching outside at a school, and you go, mm, oh, it's. Mm. It's like chip lunch, like yeah. we've done before. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I think also I was reminded of just when we were doing, we were part of Sorrel Bible Youth Community back at Gaimere, mm. and we would all just sit down and hear the, from the Bible. And I feel like that there was a lot of that going mm. on. And they also did the thing where they hold up the Bible yeah, and everyone holds that, up their Bibles. Yeah. And that was cool. But it also reminded me of Jai, when Jai would yep. – preach or we'd do the talk and he would always hold the bible yeah with a f- his finger in the passage yeah, yeah, yeah and everyone in the um the movie was doing that yeah, so i thought yeah. that was cool um yeah the starter talks were always like you sometimes just hold the bible up and all the christians would all just sit yeah. down and all the non-christians who were there going oh something's going on so you want to sit down <laughs> yeah yeah it's a similar vibe yeah. yeah but you haven't seen it yet have you tim oh, i haven't had a chance no mm. no unfortunately i had other things on the night that um many of you, That's you right. guys went you don't so. need to justify yourself it's no okay. no, no <laughs> I, I was really hoping to but um mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to catching it at some point, mm. if not at the cinema. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what you think. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. It was like the I was saying to other people, it's like the first time I've been to the actual movie, like cinemas, in five years mm. or oh, something. Right. So I hadn't. I'm not really much of a movie mm. guy. Okay, it was good to go there and enjoy it. What? Yeah, one of the things I really like to see is how they depicted young Christians as a really positive role model, because often the media doesn't show that side of. Uh, the Christian church that it's a really healthy thing and even though it's flawed and it's not perfect it's actually a really good way to live and that came through really cleverly through some of the female characters particularly yeah. who were really disenchanted by the you know the drugs and yeah. the whole culture there uh, and interestingly uh, even at the time there were people in the hippie movement that were questioning what was going on but we don't often hear that story and we saw that in the Jesus movement There was a number of characters doing that, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, even George Harrison, when he heard about Haight-Ashbury and went over to San Francisco to check it out, Haight-Ashbury was a really big centre of the hippie movement and there's lots of communes and lots of people. He just couldn't believe all these young people who were spaced out and homeless and he saw all the ugly side of it and he actually went back to England and told the rest, oh, man, it's pretty seedy over there actually so yeah a bit of the and it's kind of scary when people are out of control like when people are 
so spaced out on drugs or LSD or whatever it is that they're driving on the wrong side of the road and people in the car are scared. You know, they mm. depicted that kind of stuff. Mm. And they're thinking it's funny because they're high, like let's just drive around all over the place. Or, you know, there was this big um, proclamation that, you know, drugs will set us free, but it sounded really hollow in the movie. Mm. And yet, so it's also a, like a spiritual connection that yeah. they, they were saying. Yeah, they were looking for that. But yeah. like, I, I think it was John Stott who said that the hippies were looking for all the right things in, in all the wrong places. And I think that even came up in the movie that, that when you do find Jesus, it, you know, the media often depicts the church for, you know, understandably the things that we don't do great. You know, sometimes we're hypocritical and sometimes the church is doing the wrong thing. And, you know, often the media will look for the darker side of the Christian church and try and peel back the veneer to see what's really going on. But in this movie, when you see what's really going on, it's not perfect, but it's actually really beautiful. And the even the non-Christian uh, journalist who's writing the Time magazine article mm. that we've talked about a lot, there's a Time magazine article, 1971, called The Jesus Revolution. Well, they depict the guy who is apparently character who represents the guy who wrote that article and he's just hanging around on the fringes of things but he's like in the movie he's like i'm still trying to work this out but there's something going on here this is this is amazing and i really loved that 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 really excited me that they could do that and to hear that the movie was so successful in the states too like it had a good box office and you know i thought it was a really good christian movie actually yeah i think it was uh i haven't seen many christian movies but i was lacking in that kind of cringiness that I sometimes feel when I watch the movie. Yeah, I, think, okay, I, think right. I thought it was done really well. Um, and it was, yeah, it was good to go out there and we had that little cinema and it, I think it was full of Christians. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> to watch the but movie. it was good to see something that gives, gives young people a voice, young Christians have mm. a voice. That's what I like about contemporary Christian music. And a lot of people think Christian music sometimes is a bit cringy. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's always perfect. But to hear someone singing about what's on your heart is a, a powerful thing for a young person. And... That's what the Jesus movement gave a lot of young people, their own voice uh, in music, mm. which at the time, music was the, the, whole, the whole thing. Everything revolved around music. So, yeah, not so much these days. Makes Technology and social media are kind of replacing that. But, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we, we, and we did talk about that a, a while ago, about uh, social media and stuff like that, Tim, didn't we? But mm, yeah. it was cool also to see that there was a lot of, obviously, mission aspects to it. <laughs> I also remember when... Um, there's the feet washing scene. <laughs> the people aren't happy that they're making the hippies that are coming in and making the the uh, the church d- carpet dirty because they're wearing bare feet. Yeah, well, they're not wearing anything, are they? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, but talking about no, they're wearing clothes, but just oh, the sh- yeah on their feet, not yeah. wearing not wearing shoes. Yeah, 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 it wasn't yeah. that kind of movie. Uh, so <laughs> thankfully, um, <laughs> so we're moving on though. We're talking about mission, and uh, in conjunction with what we we're kind of talking about with Jai and Brayden last week about looking at gospel opportunities that are coming across to us through some of our church plants. We've come up with a strategy partly to do with that called um, partnership evangelism. Mm-hmm. Now that is also links back to our uh, double up 2023 goals, mm. which we're working towards. We explained that a fair bit in the last episode. Um, I thought it would be fun. We kind of gave everyone a peek behind the curtain because basically when we did those things that Jai and Braden talked about, It'd only been an hour since we'd done that, so it was kind of fun to do that. So I thought we could do that similar again, give another little peek behind the curtain of how the, the inner workings of Soul Revival Church um, and this strategy of partnership evangelism and how it works within our double up strategy. Tim, I thought it would be, you said that you actually weren't part of that, so I, mean, I know you've heard a few different mm. bits and pieces. What's your interpretation of it? And then we can tell you if you're wrong or not. <laughs> oh, on the fire. Um. <laughs> 
Yeah, so one of the things, uh, and it was a great conversation. I've listened to the podcast from last week. It was a really great conversation um, that Braden, Joy, and you had, Joel, uh, about Yarrawarra, particularly, and how that's going to be feeding into the mission. And because we've been talking about Double Up, um, there's a number of aspects of that. Like we would love for people's maturity in Christ to double. We'd love that their engagement to um, you know, have aspects of doubling up. We'd love, um, obviously, we'd want our numbers to increase we yeah we pray that that will be because there's more and more people entering the kingdom and entering into life and so that's fantastic um and if that is the case then uh our yeah our resources need to grow our discipleship needs to grow our mission uh, will grow and so one of the things we've been thinking about is uh how do we help some of our members who uh, might have capacity now serve in some of our different um gatherings we talked a couple of weeks ago about the gospel problems and that's one of the gospel problems that we have across a number of our gatherings is uh, that they're unevenly sized uh, and so there are some um, of our gatherings which are you know big and you know bursting at the seams and outgrowing spaces and then there's others that are struggling to um, get some traction um, and when people come they see that it's struggling to get traction rather than seeing that as something exciting to join they see that as something that's a bit prohibitive and so one of the things we've been talking about just in the last week since um, the conversation was that we would uh, encourage those in particularly uh, two of our, our larger gatherings to consider whether they would double up their attendance in some way um, to see their current gathering as a place where they come and they church and that's their home where they're building relationships and seeking to love others and serve others and um, but then they also see one of the other gatherings as a way to actually go on mission locally uh, and so to use some capacity that they might have at another time on the weekend to go and join uh, you know intermittently uh, irregularly or regularly whatever their capacity happens to be but just to love and bless and serve but you know, with a, a missionary heart to go and help those other congregations that are, um, might be struggling to get a bit of traction. Um, so, yeah, that's what I've heard over the yeah. last week as I've listened to conversations and been a part of a few meetings. No, that's right, because well, Stu marked the movie 8 out of 10. Would you want to mark Tim out of 10? For, for <laughs> I think you did pretty well, actually. 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10 Ooh, as well. Very good. I disagree, Margaret. That's an old throwback. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. some of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was a staple, wasn't it? <laughs> they always disagreed with each other, <laughs> didn't they? Yeah. There was, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, there used to be a movie critic show on SBS where these two, I think they were on ABC before that or somewhere anyway, but they I used to so. review movies together. This David, guy David and, and Margaret. Yeah, David, David and Margaret, and they always disagree with each other. Margaret yeah. was always a bit friendlier and warmer. <laughs> yeah. David was very clinical. And she was very arty and, and she loved it. Yeah. And then like, yeah. she'd say something and then it would always be like, I disagree, Margaret. <laughs> 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 it would always happen. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. I don't think you disagree with Tim. No, no, you did. That was unreal. When, and do you want to point out where you... Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Tim's saying this, uh, that we've just been trying to think about that uneven resource uh, as, uh, application that we have sometimes at Solis with some of our newer church plants. Uh We've been experimenting with new ways of doing things and trying some new stuff, which has been really exciting. And this is just another thing that we're trying to do that's a bit different. And so I suppose the logic in my mind goes that we talk about 
at Soul Revival that Jesus changes everything. So Jesus is growing the church and we're just partnering with him as he grows the church. And so our strategy comes out of that. How do we partner with Jesus? How do we share the truth and love of Jesus to people? And how do we do that as a, as a, as a team or as a local, a local family, uh, you know, as friends for the gospel? And so we've just thought that if we look at what we do as we share the truth and love of Jesus, then we're discipling Christians and we're discipling Christians to be on mission together. And we're trying to provide resources for them to do that. So we've thought that one of our mission goals would be to see if we can partner, get the churches within the Soul Revival network to partner with each other and partner as a family or partner as friends. You know, Jesus says in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know the master's, the, the master's business, but I call you friends if you do what I say, which is to love one another. So we, we share the truth and love of Jesus and partner with Jesus as his friends, as he has reconciled us to God through his death and resurrection on the cross. That's when he changed everything. And he's changing the world one life at a time as people hear about jesus jesus says in mark chapter 1 14 following that he's come to bring the kingdom and to repent and believe the good news so we call people to believe in jesus and to repent of their sin and uh, be uh, able to recognize that when jesus died on the cross he died in our place so that we might have new life and that new life starts now it doesn't start when we get to heaven so how do we partner with him in this now not yet tension as we wait for jesus to come back uh we we are active in a Jesus-shaped community that is seeking to disciple Christians and help Christians to mature and and also to reach out to people who aren't Christians. So in the first 10 years of Soul Revival Church, we've, we've attempted to partner with Jesus and we've um, seen that Jesus has been very gracious to us and that we've we've gone from 30 people to 550 people in the last 10 years. So this double up strategy is around the fact that not that we are attempting to grow the church, but that if God does continue to, to grow us, how do we double up our discipleship? How do we help people to mature in Christ as committed Christians using the Bible? How do we grow our leadership community at our church? And how do we see healthy gatherings that are meeting together around God's word each week? And that's the discipleship goals that we've got. And the mission goals that we've got are how do we see, how do, how do we raise up more personal evangelists? And how do we uh, equip and empower them? How do we also have partnership evangelism so we can work together in evangelism? And we're praying and hoping that we'll see more people come to know Christ through, through those goals. And so the resource goals are, you know, how do we just resource that discipleship and mission? So with a double up strategy, we're thinking, it may not happen, but if God does continue to see us grow, let's try and see if we can partner with him as he does that. Mm-hmm. And so the, part, the double up part of it is just partnering with Jesus, whatever he does, you know, we may or may not grow. But if we do seek to double up our mission partnership, what would it look like for the local churches to support each other in what we call a hub and spoke model? So our Kirawi gathering is our hub and we've got Yarrawarra, Cronulla, and ride gatherings that are all spoke churches we call them and so what does that spoke look like how does the 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 hub church support the the other churches and vice versa how do they both support each other and one thing we've been toying with is the idea that if someone has capacity to double up their attendance and go to 
church at Kiriwee and growing their discipleship realities there can actually be involved in a mission for a short amount of time or a longer amount of time at one of the spoke churches and that might actually increase the resources mm. that we have and and it's not that unusual for our church and for others for people to do that we often see a lot of our young adults doing that in youth ministry for example where people go to a service and then do youth ministry as well or see teenagers and young adults helping uh, another gathering with the kids ministry we see that in churches so we thought oh that's kind of like a an organic way we could try to see if uh, we can do that with people who have capacity we don't want to burn people out we don't want to put too much pressure on people but if people have a bit of downtime and they would like to go and be a part of another gathering as part of the family we're going to give it a go and so it'll be fun on this podcast to let all the viewers and listeners know how it goes actually mm. like what what works what doesn't with that so yeah that's kind of how i see it yeah and i think that's the idea behind talking about these like from the ideation st- stage of actually coming up with the thoughts and ideas that we're, we're trying to take advantage of gospel opportunities is to share them on the podcast to say this is how we're working it out rather than we don't have the solution yeah here's right. the, yeah. the wham bam solution exactly like how, yeah. how to fix yeah. things here's the five points you need to do to <laughs> yeah yeah that, that would be a, a good clickbait uh mm. title mm-hmm. the, the way to grow your church <laughs> something like that five easy lessons yeah exactly uh what I think also got out from the discussion we had with Braden and Jai about possibly dropping things, uh, certain gatherings to Vespa, for example, we've talked mm. about that's a smaller gathering, a bit more low key, um, that requires less resources. We actually also said that a Friday night gathering, for example, went through that stage of mm. re replanting or re um, retooling as a Vespa for maybe five or six times or something yeah, like that before right. we we got it right. That means there's a, there's a lot of experimentation. A question that I'll direct to you to start with, Tim, though, is how do you foster a culture of experimentation? Because sometimes I think at, in churches there's a pushback to not experiment and not try new things. How do you think that we, are able, we might be able to, and in this scenario that we're talking about in partner evangelism, it's something that we're throwing out there to talk about as a church. How do you think we can promote that openness to experimenting? Yeah, we talked about this um, a little bit last season, didn't we? There was the the quadrants of oh yeah different you know openness <laughs> to change and whatever it was. Um, I can't remember all the details now, but uh, I think a large part of it is you you need to be okay with failure, and you need to be uh, not uh, you need to be welcoming failure, uh, which is part of the iterative design process, and we've talked over a number of years about you know spacex being a great example and only in the last couple of weeks yeah they sent up a rocket and it um it got a fair way up and then it completely exploded (laughs) and everyone was super excited they were um because it did some things that they wanted it to and some things that it didn't (laughs) which were catastrophic for it but they learnt through that process Mm. and um it's that openness and willingness to be uh, excited about failure um and what you need to um put off with that is a expectation of professionalism and i think that that's where i see um some other churches that you know that may or may not um risk failure um or risk learning from experimentation is the the concern about we have to be putting on a professional front um and i mean the way i see it in, in my role is largely about uh whether you put young people up front 
Um, and so letting young people um, be part of the service, to lead, um, to be involved in service uh, and those kinds of things. And often it comes from a, well, they might stumble over words. They might not do as good a job as an adult might do. They might, uh, and there's this concern for a professionalised gloss that we need to present ourselves really well during this. Um, and so I think it's, it comes with that same attitude of, well, we don't want to fail. Uh, we don't want to allow people to fail. Um, but actually, when you've got a more relational, more relaxed feeling where you actually are anticipating that things will go wrong and you're looking forward to learning from that, I think that's a very different attitude and it allows yourself to you know, do big picture things like do we you know, uh, scale back something we thought was heading towards Beetle but now we need to retool back to Vespa um, through to very small things like do you let a teenager read the Bible in your service, even if they might stumble over some words? Like, there's mm. lots of different expressions of that, but I think it all comes from that same heart mm. um, of being willing to give things a go. Um, and it's okay when things don't go okay, because we can still be learning from that. What do you think, Stu, there is a desire or a need or a perceived need to be professional? Is that most churches, do you think, or is it just... I, uh, think, I think since the 70s we've been exploring that as a christian church in the west i think there's been this sense that if we do things well like the world does things well then people will find us less cringy so if we do music really well and we do the parking really well and the facilities are clean and you know they're similar to what they'd experience in other areas then they'll take it more seriously mm -hmm. maybe we've kind of put a bit too much emphasis onto that uh possibly i think that we're experimenting with things that may not work even though we've thought it through as long and we don't mind trying new things as long as it doesn't hurt anyone so it's interesting that spacex don't put people in the rockets mm -hmm. when they're trying to see if they can get them to work and you might have if this is your first podcast and you what's a vesper and a beetle well we've just come up with a fun way of talking about different size churches mm -hmm. to give permission for the churches to be different sizes it's not like it's only successful when it's big so just like when you first start uh start moving around you might ride around on a Vespa and then when you've got a few friends you might buy yourself a little car like a Beetle and then as you get a growing family you might need a bigger car again like a Combi so they're three, three uh, kind of iconic vehicles that we've used to describe our church planning and we just talk about our smaller services being when they're really small like under 20 uh, we actually consider that to be a church as we gather around the word of God together. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily have everything that the combi is going to have mm. and the step towards that is the beetle so one of the ways we're trying to make things uh, an experiment that doesn't hurt anyone is to validate the ministry potential of the different sized gatherings as we hopefully get them to a point where really for it to have a, a formal service we, we kind of need to have 50 plus people I think to have a formal service uh, in general but on the way to that there's still an opportunity for us to have a really cool, authentic, not cool, but have an authentic Christian expression that's um, really valid, uh, smaller than that. But what I think we're finding is, I think we've, in our church, we've tried to start the formal service a bit too early. And I think that put a lot of pressure on people if some people were away or whatever. And we're also setting up too much stuff, I think, at some of our campuses. So to scale it back to say, what is a small under 20 gathering need? And we have another podcast called The Chip Lunch, which is actually originally 
I think we got the, the, the word from our gatherings that we have at high schools, which are very Jesus movement-like gatherings, which is someone gets up in a playground and shares a message from the Bible. And people sit around and bring a meal and sit and listen and, and then they go to class. So we've sort of thought, well, what if we start there with the Vespa? What if it's someone gets up and gives a talk and there's maybe some bacon and eggs and some people sitting around just enjoying breakfast together? Like what's around. the chip, chip lunch version in yeah, that particular so that, context? That's right. That's yeah. helpful. Thank you for yeah. helping me with that. So, yeah, so the chip lunch context is cool for teenagers. But what does it look like for adults? Mm, so mm. maybe we just have a caravan that pulls up on the, at a community centre and we, we, we have coffee and bacon and eggs and sit around and someone gives a talk. Well, that's been really popular down at Yarrawarra and we've got lots of non-Christians mm. going to it. We've got about 20 non-Christians a week, some weeks, going to that. A whole football team adopted us <laughs> to come along after their training session on Sunday morning to come and have breakfast with us. But what 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 do we do to help grow that Christian ministry within that? That's why we're thinking of doubling up because we could do with some more Christians there to talk to those people and mm-hmm. stuff. Because when you've only got 17 people or so setting up church, we were trying to do a formal service for quite a while in that context. But we started thinking, why don't we just do a chip lunch? Why don't we just do it a lot easier? So if you're struggling listening to all this with all this vernacular, um, I don't know, maybe we could put out a little, little glossary of terms or frequently asked questions one day. But um, in general, what we're trying to say is if we've got a small group of Christians, let's, let's see if we can be authentic to that expression in the community and partner with Jesus where we're at. Mm. Because all the reality is across the Christian church, we don't have a lot of mega churches, particularly in Australia. And a lot of what we do is small or medium. So how do we really enrich that experience for Christians so that they can be on mission together? Mm. And so, yeah, that's sort of what we're trying to do. And I also like the thing that you were saying, Tim, about, and it actually relates back to the thing you really enjoyed about the Jesus Revolution movie, mm. was allowing young people a space or mm. an opportunity to serve and, and mm. stand up there. And that breaks down, almost breaks down the need or desire for the professionalism Mm, mm. because that's what happened in the movie too they were like no we can't have this we can't have this and the pastor was like well we're going to let some people who want to know about Jesus come in doesn't matter if they're hippies or not Mm. and I think uh, I really value that what you're saying Tim because I've seen my children in certain degrees be part of part of that too but also the Friday night gathering that we have is a, is a, a really great space for that and just we've got a light leadership program where we uh, we're actually getting people ready for leadership once they get older and using the friday night it always seems to be the time where we're experimenting mm. so much because young people are flexible and that's exactly the shock result mm. model isn't it that young people are flexible they can tell us what's going on in the in the in the, the coalface of culture and mm. then we can use use their knowledge without the older people's biblical knowledge to adapt to what's going on in church mm. as well and i think uh it is interesting that I've only been part of Soul Revival Ministries, but I don't feel like we need to be professional, but I feel like in some way we end up allowing people to almost be more professional because we give them, give them the chance. That like, so they've, they've actually had that time to practice what they're doing at Friday night, for example. So in a way, they kind of look professional because they've had the opportunity to practice, but you can't get there unless you, you practice. And mm. I don't know if it's professionalism or it's just they feel comfortable to get up there and do it. But I think that would be a really good... Oh, sorry, Tim, I'm keen to hear what you think, but I think that would be a really good 
episode actually to talk about professionalism maybe we could do that next week because what because one of the things you want to do is you want to do things well like you want to present the gospel well you want to have an authentic gathering but i kind of feel like you don't need to go to the extent of having it run like an event where people feel like they're consumers Mm. who come and consume this really professional product we don't want to go there either so that that's i think it'd be fun to talk about yeah yeah i think the other thought that came to mind um was you, as you said, Joel, like you get better at things. Um, yeah. And we were just even just saying over lunch, yeah, when you, you put reps into something, you get better at it. Mm. You know? So mm. um, the, the more you lead singing, the more you play guitar in a lead, a congregational type context rather than just um, noodling around at home, like that, yeah, you get better at it. The more you get up and MC, you get better at it. Mm. Um, so those kind of things um, are significant. But I think the other thing about the, the, the posture, I suppose, that we've taken as a church is that because we value uh, low-key relational mm-hmm. ministry, um, that when you get up and lead, yes, of course we want it done well and we will help people, you know, uh, do well in their role. And you know, when things go wrong, we give them training, on-the-job training, and how do you think that went? Let's think about how you can improve for next time, those kinds of things. So that, it's not that we don't do those things, but we also lead from a relational point of view. So... When someone gets up and is giving, you know, the community news, for example, or is leading the songs or whatever, um, they're leading it as, you know, friends. And so coming back to the, the friendship idea we've talked a lot about in the last few episodes, that the person who is doing this particular thing for me, whether it is cooking the bacon or leading the music or preaching or sitting beside me, you know, they're my friends and so there's a really relaxed attitude that comes with that so it's it's it doesn't have to be professional from a polish point of view because it's not trying to be a product that we're communicating and and selling to be crass but you know we are just doing it in relationship with each other um and i like i try and model that um when i'm leading music with kids like i often get chords wrong um, and I was like, oh, sorry, that was supposed to be a D chord. Um, uh, and actually it was funny, like your son, Joel, um, last, last time there was one song that we were doing and I'd always start it with the wrong chord. And he'd, he'd just call out every week, it's a D, Tim. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know and, um, that. and it was great, be- but it, like, because we're friends, Audio. like I'm not stressed about having to always get it right. Um, yeah. I don't get really up, oh, no, the kids are going to think badly. For, I can't do this really well. It's just, like, it's just really friendly. Because you're friends with me. We're friends yeah. with the kids yeah. and they're friends with me and we can joke about it <laughs> and we can laugh at the fact that Tim always gets it wrong and yeah. there's that line that Tim sings different to the PowerPoint on the screen. And like yeah. we just, it's, it's, it's jovial. There's that um, sober joy that we talk about as well as the value of our church. And so I think that breaks down that need to be mm. professional. But I, I think digging into it next week would be really helpful. Be good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, the only thing that I was thinking about was, um, this is some discussions that I've had and we had even in the staff meeting as well, is kind of the the idea of the uh, at late night, which is where we kind of, at Saturday night and at Ride now, we uh, on a Saturday we hang out over a large space of time. And that that actually allows for experimentation as well to do, you know, nights that have a high energy or lower energy. We have a program, but it's not really we don't really hold massively to the to the program. And it comes from when we used to hang out for ages at, at Solis in in Gaimi Anglican um, when we were a youth community there, 
where sometimes I was getting home at 2 o'clock in the morning because we, we'd been there for 6.30, mm. I think, sometimes. And even mm. earlier when we started a thing called yeah, That Arvo. was when you were a young adult age, yeah. not, not as a teenager. That, yeah, yeah, sorry, that's that's right. Yes, mm. I wasn't getting home at 2 a.m. when I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been some questions there from my parents. Um, but there's that. I think in that area there's a culture of experimentation as well, but also friendship building as well. So I, th- I was just thinking, maybe Stu, you can answer this, is how does the the ability or intentional ability to spend lots of time with each other as um, friends centered around Jesus, how does that allow for experimentation and also just, I suppose, like why do we, why do we think it's an important thing to do? Yeah, so the, the, the idea of our Saturday night gathering was birthed from the point of view of we were in a homogeneous unit church where we had a youth service, a family service, and a, and, a, and a traditional service. And we had a youth group and we had Bible studies. And we were running the youth group on Friday night, some of us as young adults. And we thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we'd be more intentional with our social time? Mm. So Saturday night didn't start as a ministry department of the church or... You know, some thought through ministry, we were all volunteers and we just said, wouldn't it be great if we hung out with each other on a Saturday night? We invited our non-Christian and Christian friends to hang out with us. But instead of just going up the pub or going to a movie or whatever, a concert or whatever, what if we hung out and read the Bible together as well as hanging out as a social thing? Mm. Uh, So we were sort of thinking that sometimes the churches, people are a bit compartmentalised into, I'd be a Christian at church and then i just go out and in my social time I, I actually don't have a lot of expression as a Christian that's overt it's fine to do that uh, but we thought wouldn't it be exciting to experiment with a new idea that we actually hang out as a group of friends because we're friends with Jesus let's be gospel orientated friends so I had friends who I was friends with because we used to go surfing and that was the activity that we used to undertake and I was saying what if we actually saw the fact that as Christian friends, we're all running this youth group together. What if we be mates like that and think of ourselves as being friends and that the kids could grow up into that friendship group? So that's where the Saturday night long hangouts happen because friends don't tend to say, well, we're going to hang out with each other between the hours of 7.30 and 10. <laughs> oh, look, everyone, it's 9.30, time to go home. Don't you don't do that as friends. You sort of like go home when you're tired or when you want to. So we sort of had an open-endedness to Saturday night that was because of that. And wasn't that also a decision to say you wanted to give the most important social time of culture, like give that to Jesus? Yeah, so as as young, I mean, I was 21 when we were talking about this stuff and I hadn't been to Bible college. I was just like, you know, talking with my friends about what is it to be a Christian in our generation? And the, the, we, we came across Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 and we're really impacted by that, that love God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul and love your neighbour as yourself. And we got convicted that we weren't really putting God first. And in our young way, we said, well, what's our most valuable thing? And to us at the time, it was Saturday night because that was our social night. And so we thought, why don't we give that to Jesus and mm-hmm. put him first and put, put that on hang out as Christians on the best night of the week rather than use that for other things. And, yeah, it didn't mean that, you know, we hung out every week. And I, I still went to weddings and went to a few concerts and did a few things like that. But it was a really intentional thing to be friends together mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus that was felt like the Jesus mm-hmm. movement. You know, it felt like that. And I think that intentional uh, decision to be intentional about, like, setting aside this time to just be friends together around Jesus... I think uh, is something that's 
rather countercultural. It is, uh, yeah. It and is. it is, uh, I go to Kirawee on a Saturday night here and uh, I try and hang out as long as mm. possible until I need to take my children home. <laughs> and they usually go to bed quite late on a Saturday <laughs> night because of that. But I think there's um, something really special of just having a free amount of time, with pretty open-ended, mm. as you said, but to just build relationship with mm. people. And it doesn't, and because we're all age, all stage church, I could be talking to someone that's older than me or someone that's younger than me. Mm. I've had, in the last few weeks, I've had conversations at dinner with someone that's new that we hadn't really met mm. before, someone that I've known for a very long time, mm. and then uh, someone that I've only spoken to a couple of times and some um, some people who have been coming to the church for a while but they're actually just finishing high school so mm, yeah. that's the i think that's the opportunity that it obviously allows tim do you have any thoughts on late night because we were talking about this in the staff meeting too we're kind of batting around like oh do we think about it as a strategy for every all of our gatherings but it wasn't we weren't sure that was the thing that we were trying to figure out because we know that our ride gathering has started doing late night and they they were hanging out for a long time as well but they wanted to put a bit more structure mm. so non-christians could be invited to that space as well but what do you think what are your thoughts on late night yeah we call it late night now but it used to be a, a called solis back at kind anglican yeah uh yeah it has been um late night has been a very significant part of the way we've expressed our friendship together um and i think uh as we were just chatting today and it was becoming um i was curious in my mind as I thought more about it um, that where late night fits within the strategies of sorrow revival um, and I think some of the interests that um, the conversation today had was a recognition that as we've moved from being a um, young adult community that grew up together for 20 years and had to experiment with uh, having young people and then some of them uh, were having kids and so what does it look like to have some families into there and we've had to th- we had to think through a few different decisions and we played around with Sorovavalava as well as Nate Light mm. and different ways that people could engage because we the high value of friendship so hanging out in the afternoon for people with kids rather than at night time after mm. yeah so trying to have extended time before this is on a Saturday night on a Saturday too, yeah. yeah that's mm. right um, and then we've you know, 10 years ago, we've, um, you know, <coughs> moved from having it being uh, a, a social thing for young adults that was word-based, but friendship, um, but not a church service, to being a church service. And then over the last 10 years, the history of Soul Revival and the way that it's grown, and thinking, well, that late night, was that a distinctive of, it's a, it's a young adult-y thing? Is that its primary mm. strategy? Is that it's, some, it's a key hub place for young adults to hang out um, and if others come that's awesome but it's primarily a young adult strategy or is it primarily a long-term friendship strategy um, and the, the stickiness of the question comes with what should we expect for our other gatherings that are not on Saturday nights um, should we try and replicate in some ways because there are many things that we do on Saturday night that it was we planted other gatherings, we're like, well, these things are key to what it means to be soul revival. So we will obviously do these things in every gathering that we plant. So meals has been a significant one. Every gathering we plant has a meal attached to it. Mm. Um, but there are other things. So youth group, for example, we something we have not planted at each of our gatherings. We've said, no, there's, a, there's one youth group reality, which is Friday night. And whichever gathering your family happens to go to, uh, we encourage you uh, to come to the Friday night and then invite your 
um, non-church friends to come with you as well. And so there is just one expression of youth ministry. And so what was just starting to formulate in my mind this afternoon, uh, sorry, this morning, was, ah, okay, is late night more like youth in that it's a, no, no, it's a hub thing. It just happens once. It's on a Saturday night. And if you want to experience that aspect of Sorrow Revival Church, you come on Saturday night. Mm. Is it more like that? Or is it more like meals? It's actually a core part of what it means to express Soul Revival Church, and therefore we should expect to see something like late night at all of our gatherings. And it's a completely open question at the moment, which mm. is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just, yeah, it was, that, that was the, the thought in my head. And I was like, oh, that has never occurred to me in that way before. Mm. And so it was kind of exciting to, yeah, again, to, to question and experiment and to mm. blow up some rockets and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's, that's why, Stu, I really value your leadership in terms of helping us to experiment and helping us to think through ideas and how we can do it. And I think what I was, I was reminded of the Jesus revolution um, movie again of when the journalist says, Oh, something is happening here. And I think that's what we're obviously working towards, whether it's late night or it's our church plants or whatever. And that's why we're focusing on discipleship and mission. So we want non-Christians to go, Oh, something is happening here and we should check it out more. So mm. I think that's been some really valuable discussion. Uh, sure, you have to head off because you've got another and more ministry to do. So <laughs> we appreciate that for sure. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, thank you, Tim, as well. Thank you, Always enjoy the conversation. Yeah, thanks, that we have. Today. No worries. If you do have any other questions or want to call us out, like I said before in every episode, email me at joel at au, and we'd love to answer it on the podcast because mm. that's what we're doing. We're answering mm. questions and having a discussion rather than saying this is the way to do things. Fantastic. Yeah, no worries at all. Oh, and of course, we finish with a one way. One way. One way.